We're on a journey together. We've um, been in the book of Ephesians over the last number of months, and we've studied through Ephesians 1 through 3. We'll take a break from Ephesians and come back to Ephesians in the fall, September, October, November. We'll walk through chapters 4 through 6. For the summer months, June, July, and August, we'll be taking a look at the life of Abram. Uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 27 through 25, verse 11. The title of this series is Faith Journey. So we'll be learning from Abram's life what it means to walk with faith. And the title of this sermon is An Invitation to Walk. Let's just pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for all that you are doing among us. And we ask that at this time, for this moment, you by your spirit would help us Read your word and understand it and apply it to our lives. Jesus, we ask that you be our teacher and that you, Holy Spirit, would counsel us into truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. We give you all the glory and honor. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, we're going back to Genesis, and Genesis, of course, it begins with this general survey of human history. If you look at Genesis 1 through 11, you have the beginning of our origin, and also you have the whole uh, gospel story being launched. It goes from creation all the way to consummation in Revelation, the end of all things. And of course, as you read this story, you ask yourself the question, how do I find myself in this story? What role would I have in it? And what would that mean for today? Should I understand God's role for me? In the beginning, God creates the universe. He creates the universe and everything that he has created is good, very good. He creates man on the sixth day. Male and female, he creates. And male and female are made in the image of God. In the ancient Near East, that would mean that they are to represent God. And perhaps if you're familiar with the scriptures, that thought does not shock you, but in the ancient Near East, it would have been shocking because in the ancient Near East, among all of the peoples in that region, the only one who would represent God would be the king. And so it's not unusual as you study religions from the ancient Near East for the king to be considered God on earth. He is in the image of the national of God. He represents God to the people. And in Genesis 1, we find this shocking revelation that God has actually created all men and women, all of humanity, in the image of God. Male and female. God breathes life into them. He walks with them in the garden. The earth is the place where God dwells with man. You see, we are to understand that the Garden of Eden is actually God's temple, and the image of God within that temple is man, Adam and Eve. They're to serve God as royal priests. When you hear that word priests, maybe the first image that comes to mind is a Tibetan Buddhist monk, or maybe it's a Roman Catholic priest. Maybe you Imagine someone that lives far from normal life, a life very distinct from your life. What did God intend for Adam and Eve? How were they to serve as priests? Well, they were to walk with God. They were to live in relationship with God. And that relationship with God was to infuse every facet 
of their lives. They were to rule over and care for creation. And as they multiplied, direct each other back to God. The main idea of this morning's message is, you were created to walk in the presence of God and follow his leading by faith. You and I were created to walk in the presence of God and follow his leading by faith. What happened to Adam and Eve? Well, if you've read through the book of Genesis, then you know that in chapter 3, they don't believe that God has been sufficiently good. (laughs) They believe that in order to be like God, they will have to follow the counsel of the serpent. And so they take from the fruit of the tree, they rebel against God, they sin, and they find themselves hiding from God. They are separated from God. They actually forfeit their priesthood. After their fall, there's a wave of human rebellion, a wave of rebellion against God. Most follow the way of Cain. There are some who seek for God. Genesis chapter 5 verse 24, it says Enoch walked with God. That word walk there is the same word that we find in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8, God walking with Adam and Eve. Most do not follow God, but then there is Noah. In the days of Noah, Noah walked with God, Genesis 6 verse 9. And again that word walked, the same word that we find in Genesis 3 verse 8. Most on the earth do not honor God. The overwhelming majority, in fact, God looks for someone and finds Noah and decides to judge the world with a flood. What happens following that flood? Well, Noah's descendants, they multiply. But again, there's a wave of rebellion against God. In chapter 10 of Genesis, you find a list of nations, about 70 nations that inhabit the known world. If you look at the map, they're in North Africa, the Middle East, they're in Turkey. Thousands of years later, Paul will say to those in Athens the following, Acts chapter 17, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. God's desire is that people will seek him and find him. Well, what happens in Genesis chapter 11? We read that the peoples of the earth, they gather and they build a tower, the Tower of Babel. It's a tower to themselves, their desire to dethrone God and to take the earth for themselves. It's a symbol of their independence, of their self-sufficiency. And God, in his mercy, he confuses their language and they're dispersed. And what will God do? Well, he will do what he always does. He will work for recreation. He will desire or he will work so that people will return to that Eden relationship. He will look for people that desire to walk with him. Second Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 says that the Lord searches to and fro for people with a heart after him, for people that will listen to his voice, that desire his counsel, that want to walk with him. And then out of that relationship be a blessing to others. So the Tower of Babel was built on the plain of Shinar, and who will God find there? 
Well, this leads us to today's passage. Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. Genesis 11, verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur of the Chaldeans, of course, on the southern end of the plain of Shinar. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In verse 27, the story shifts from the 70 nations that populate the earth to a specific family, that of Terah. And we'll find that the story shifts again from the family to a specific person, Abram. Now, why does the introduction to the story not read, these are the generations of Abram, if the story is about him? Well, we'll find that this is characteristic of the stories of the fathers of Israel. For example, in Genesis 25, verse 19, we read, these are the generations of Isaac, and then the stories are about Jacob and Esau, his sons. In chapter 37, verse 2, we read, these are the generations of Jacob, and that introduces us to the story of Joseph. So not unusual that we would read the phrase, these are the generations of Terah, but the story will actually be about Abram. Now, it's interesting that in the scriptures, God most often finds a person with a heart toward him. He finds Moses. He finds Hannah. He finds David. He finds Mary. And here in Ur of the Chaldeans, he finds Abram. And he's chosen Abram for a purpose. If we go to the prayer of the exiles in Jerusalem, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you. That word chose is a special word. It just has the sense of a fine choice being made by God. We've been in the book of Ephesians, and so we've learned that God plans things, chooses things from before the foundation of the world. So if we study Ephesians and Romans, we come to an understanding that God chose Abram, and he chose Israel, and he did it for a purpose. As, As God chose Abram, God chooses us for a mission, for a purpose. That is what we are to understand today. As God chose Abram, God chooses us for a mission, for a purpose. In verse 28, we get the context of Abram's call, Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur was a city about 300 kilometers southeast of modern Baghdad. It was on a bend of the Euphrates River. The Euphrates has changed its course over time, but Ur was on the river itself during its heyday. Archaeologists have discovered that 
Ur became an important city near the end of the third millennium BC, from 2100 BC to 2000 BC. At that time, the governor of Ur, his name was Ur Namu, he brought the city to great importance and he took on the names of King of Ur, King of Sumer, King of Akkad. That means that he was ruling over what today is known as Iraq. Time of peace and prosperity. That was the home of Abram. It was a walled city, and at the center of the city there was a palace and a temple complex, and at the center of the temple a ziggurat that grows up 80 feet, and it was dedicated to the moon god, Sin. If you look at verse 29, you see some of the names of the people in Terah's family, extended family, Sarai. It comes from the Akkadian language, and it means queen. Sarai in the mythology of the Akkadians was the female consort of the moon god Sin. That's why she was given that name. Milcah, it's a variant of the word queen in the Akkadian language. And she was the daughter of the moon god. And so you see that names are being given to members of the family of Terah because they are moon god worshippers. This is the family into which Abram was born. He was born in a prosperous place, a walled city, a secure place, a city that was at the center of Shinar, center of religious, political, and economic life. He was born into what would have been considered a good place and a family that was immersed in pagan idolatry. This becomes very clear if we read Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Naor. And they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him. The language here is fascinating. Served other gods. That word served, it means that they exercised intense devotion toward the gods. This was not a casual thing. They were actually immersed in pagan idolatry. And then you see the word took. And it means that God took Abram by the hand and led him. Took him and carried him away. That word led is the same word that we find in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 where It says that God walked with Adam and Eve. And so just as God walked with Adam and Eve, God desires to walk with Abram. He will take him and lead him. And as with Abram, God takes us by the hand and leads us out of darkness. Just as with Abram, God takes us by the hand and leads us out of the darkness. In verse 31 you see that the intent of the journey is to go from Ur of the Chaldeans all the way to Canaan. But the family settles in the northern part of Shinar in a city called Haran. Today that would be eastern Turkey. Haran, again, is an important city, the main crossroads. It's a commercial center, and it's also a center for worship of the moon god. In verse 32, you see that Terah's journey ends at the age of 205. Now, his death is out of chronological order. Abram leaves Haran at 75 while Terah is still alive. 
Terah, in fact, will be alive for most of Abram's life. What we read of in Genesis 12 through 25. Why does he stay in Haran? Is it because he does not share Abram's faith? Perhaps. He settles for Haran. And the question for us as we read the story is, will Abram follow the call of God? Or will he too settle in Haran? If we go to the book of Acts and you look at the sermon of Stephen in Jerusalem, Stephen is preaching to fellow Jews and he says, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. So God called him from Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him a threefold command. Go out from your land, go out from your kindred, and go to the land that I will show you. He calls him from the peaceful, prosperous place, from his home, from his people, from his culture, to go. He's not sure where. How can I say that with conviction? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's the walk of faith. It's a tremendous risk to embark on the journey of faith. For Abram, it was a tremendous risk to leave that prosperous, peaceful city, to leave the walled confines of Ur and embark on a journey. You see, the world was populated. If you look at the list of nations in Genesis chapter 10, Abram is going out to a region that already has people living in it. And he is to follow God and walk in his presence and believe that God is taking him to a place. Will he stay in Haran? Well, God repeats the call in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And Abram follows. The only security that he has is in his relationship with God. That's the only security he has. He's not sure where he's going, but he knows that God is leading him. He knows that God is taking him from the city of man, from Ur. He's taking him from Haran, and he's leading him to the city of God. It's interesting that Hebrews says, leading him forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The heart of the journey, the destination of the journey is not so much Canaan as it is God himself. That's what the journey is about. Abram's story reminds me of Hakan's journey. If you were here on Pentecost Sunday or here on International Language Ministry Sunday, then you will have heard uh, the story of Hakan, a man from Turkey. About 20 years ago, God called him out of the darkness. God spoke to him, appeared to him, and he gave his life to Jesus. A tremendous risk. Where the overwhelming majority of Turkish citizens are Muslim. He gave his life to Jesus. He started to call others to faith in Christ. About 10 years after his conversion, government authorities invaded his office and charged him with smuggling firearms for insulting the nation of Turkey and insulting Islam. On the day of his first appearance in court, his first hearing in April of 2007, while he was in court 
three of his brothers in another city, Malatya, their lives were taken. And when he came out of court, the reporters were there with their microphones. And he learned that his three Christian brothers had died in Malatya. One of them he had led to faith in Christ. What would he do? Now, Khan shared his personal testimony, shared of his faith in Jesus before a national audience. That story has gone not only around Turkey, but around the world. The Washington Post published articles about Hakan. People from North America invited him to come to North America so that he could live in a comfortable, peaceful place. But Hakan has responded to those invitations with the following. He says, I am called by Jesus to my nation, to Turkey, to be a witness in my land to the Turkish people. He is the first Man of Turkish back, of, of Muslim background, the first Turk of Muslim background to register his children as Christian in Turkey. His desire is to stand for Jesus. Now, why does he have that kind of courage, that kind of resolve? Well, he knows the one who called him out of the darkness. He knows the one that is leading him. He walks in the presence of God and he's believing God for the impossible in Turkey. And as in the experience of Abram and Hakan, God leads us to the essence of the journey himself. What God had for Abram, what God has for Hakan, he has for us himself. And he enables us to follow and serve as priests. What will the journey demand? Verse 30 of Genesis chapter 11. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. (laughs) The introduction of her barrenness here foreshadows the tension that drives Abram and Sarai's walk with God. It stands at the center. If you look at the literary structure of Genesis 11, 27 to 32, this statement stands right at the center, and it's there for emphasis. Her barrenness, her being without child, it's an obvious barrier to the fulfillment of the promise. It's a tremendous obstacle in the way of Abram and Sarai. And why would God choose to work with this couple, Abram and Sarai? Well, for his glory. Because the only way that the promise will be be fulfilled will be through a miracle, through divine intervention. It will test the faith of Abram and Sarai. It will drive them into the presence of God, crying out for grace and mercy. You see this in Romans chapter 4. Paul writes... That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. If we keep on reading Romans chapter 4, we learn that God speaks to Abram as he worships. And as Abram gives glory to God, his faith goes stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. The journey will demand faith. And as children of Abram, God calls us to believe him for the impossible. Just as God called Abram to believe him for the impossible, God calls us to believe him for the impossible. As we study Abram's life, we are to see our lives as gifts from God, permeated with purpose. 
We are to live as God directs. Does it mean that everyone here should become a missionary or a pastor? No. But all of us are to see ourselves as chosen by God for a mission. Whether we are fathers or mothers, parents, children, married, single, we are to understand that God has a calling on our lives. Whether we are politicians or doctors or dentists or lawyers, filmmakers or artists, carpenters, janitors, business people, no matter what our vocation in life, we are to understand that we've been called by God and chosen for a purpose. We're to see ourselves as children of God who have been taken by the hand and led out of darkness on a journey being shaped by God for his glory. Whether we are young or elderly, we are to walk in the presence of God. The destination is God himself. In fact, often as we age, we come to a greater understanding of what this means because we have our eyes on eternity. And God has given us time to spend in his presence to understand the meaning of the journey. All of us are called to believe God for the impossible. As Abram gave glory to God, he grew in his faith. And that can be our experience. We'll find that Abram is not always heroic. There are days when he's full of faith, he's brave, he's noble. And then there are other days where he is a coward. He lacks in character. He is ignoble. What is true for Abraham is true for us as well. There are days when we are full of faith and then there are days when we lack faith. But despite our imperfections, God is able to accomplish his purposes. God in his sovereignty, in and through us, is able to accomplish his will. With the call of Abraham began the story of the nation of Israel. God calling a people to himself. He called that people out of Egypt to walk in the wilderness. And we read in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, that the whole nation is to be a kingdom of priests. Every Israelite is to be a priest to represent God before the nations of the earth. Now, through the line of Abraham came our great high priest, Jesus. And those who place their faith in him are children of Abraham. They are children of faith. Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now with the coming of Christ, and the sending of the Holy Spirit. That nation of Israel has been replaced by an international royal priesthood that includes people from all nations, languages, and tribes. And as the church of God, we are called to walk with God individually and collectively. We're called to be the dwelling place of God, the representatives of God on earth. Whenever we gather, wherever we are during the week, What is God's calling on this church, Willingdon Church? Willingdon Church has a rich history. Over the last 55 years, wonderful foundations have been laid at this church in the areas of worship and prayer and evangelism and mission, leadership, elders, so many different areas, 
strong foundations, small groups, biblical preaching. As elders and team leaders have met over the last number of months, we have come to a renewed understanding of just the calling of God on this church, the way that God has positioned it for his purposes in Metro Vancouver and and the world. We have reaffirmed that mission statement that is in the lobby to know Jesus Christ personally and to carry on his ministry. We believe that that is the reason for our existence. It's grounded in the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. In this season, we believe that Willingdon Church is called to be a transformational community. What does that mean? A family of faith that's being transformed by God as we walk with God, as we abide in his presence, as God transforms us, he'll use us for the transformation of the lives of others in Metro Vancouver and around the world. And so we want to be a transformational community that lives on mission, wherever we are, whether we're here locally or serving globally. It's for all of us. We believe that we've been called to be a house of prayer for all nations, The call of God is fueled through prayer. So that means worship. That means hearing the word of God. That means repentance. That means praying for each other. That means interceding for the nations. That means being a house of prayer, the dwelling place of God on earth, believing him for the impossible. We believe every member of the household should be equipped in alignment with spiritual gifting. All of you, if you are followers of Christ, if you have yielded to Jesus and received the Holy Spirit, you have received spiritual gifts from God. And God's desire is that you be equipped in alignment with that gifting. We believe that we're called to reach the neighborhood. That means getting on school campuses. That means getting into community centers. That means reaching the people that are around us in Burnaby and Metro Vancouver. We're called to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We're called to be the eyes and ears of Jesus. We're called to be the mouthpiece of the Lord in Metro Vancouver. That will entail new ministry initiatives in the coming months. We're called to establish new gathering places for the family. Put feet to that vision for church planting, for starting satellite campuses. How will we do that? Well, we begin by preparing ourselves at 4812 Willingdon Avenue. Worshipping, praying, equipping every member for service. And when God opens the door for church planting, we will walk through it with faith. What does it mean for you and I? Well, the vision includes all of us, young and old. If you were here last weekend, you saw the children, you heard the children reciting scripture, worshiping. And their vision is in alignment with the mission of the church, in alignment with the vision of the church. Know, grow, go. Easy to remember. Every child knowing Jesus. Every child growing in Christ. Every child growing from an early age, serving as a priest, as a missionary where they are. And that's not just for the children, it's for all of us. So may we walk together with faith. God desires to take us by the hand and lead us as he led Abram. He will lead us to himself. He will lead us into his presence. He will lead us to each other. He will teach us to love each other, to love the neighborhood, to love the lost, to love the nations. God is calling us to believe him for the impossible in our day. He's calling us to journey with him, and that will require faith. But the God of Abraham, who was faithful to fulfill the promise made to Abram and Sarai, will be faithful to 
to fulfill the promises to us in our day as well. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to pray. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We are here by your grace and only by your grace. And Lord, when we turned our eyes to you in faith the first time, we realized that we were not worthy, but that you had shed your love upon us through Jesus. And so we thank you, Jesus, for salvation in you. Thank you for taking our sin upon yourself. Thank you that because of you, Jesus, the way into the Father's presence has been opened and we can cry, Abba, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for dwelling within us. And as we journey this week, Lord, may we walk with faith, whether we be at school or at work, at home, on the streets, wherever we are, God, may we walk with faith. May we walk in love for you and for each other. Jesus, you prayed for us that we would be one, that the world would know that you were sent by the Father. Oh God, may the world know that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that life is found only in you. Lord, as we abide in your presence, may we be filled with hope. May your peace and your joy overwhelm us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we abound in hope as we come to an understanding of your calling on our lives in this day. So we ask for your mercy upon us and we pray in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.